0: the first Samuel then we'll get into second Samuel still got um, several chapters left but it's going by quick we're already in chapter 23 Um, so before I catch you up to speed if you would with me let's pray that God would bless the study and then we'll get into the study Lord, we ask for a fresh anointing of your Spirit. We know we can't understand your word without your Spirit. God, so we pray um, that you would wake us up, that you would help us see as you see, that you would help us see as you desire us to see. God, that we would be able to, to go through this text and learn. Uh, about you, about us, about what to do, about what not to do, Lord, that we would know in this time that, that we're hearing something from you. So I pray uh, that the the message tonight, that your word would pierce our hearts and affect our lives, and, and we'd be able to relate it to our lives, something specific, something personal that maybe uh, we're walking through Lord, I pray uh, that your word uh, would do what you promised, that it wouldn't return void and it would fulfill its purpose. So we ask that you bless this time together in your name. Amen. All right. So we were last in 1 Samuel chapter 22. Now, obviously, David is still on the run. And if you uh, look back to First Samuel chapter 21, if you remember, uh, he's running from Saul because uh, his buddy Jonathan had given him, given him a message, hey, my dad's coming to kill you once again. So he gives him that sign by shooting the arrows. Uh, and so David runs and he runs to the right place. He runs to the tabernacle, the house of God, and and he visits his uh, high priest friend Ahimelech. But uh, what he did was deceive and, and he lied to Ahimelech and he made up this story that uh, he was doing the king's work and all this different stuff and he needed some provision and and his deception we see in first samuel chapter 22 uh it cost a lot of people their lives and we see uh that doeg one of saul's servants uh ends up slaughtering all the priests because saul thinks that ahimelech is in cahoots uh with with david and they've kind of made this conspiracy uh form this conspiracy against king saul and ahimelech's on david's side and and he can't trust him anymore. And we know that there's no truth to back this up. Ahimelech wasn't aware of what David was doing. Uh, regardless, we see Saul. Yeah, he, he and Doeg, he has Doeg, wipe out the, all their families, the priests, the kids, the nursing infants across the board. And what we saw, Saul, do, gosh, it comes every time. See Saul, saw, Saul, Saul. He, uh, He has this direct attack on God's people and and, and it looks like a, a moment of hopelessness like wow you just wiped out the entire priesthood but at the end of the chapter we see one man survives this man named Abiathar and this man Abiathar becomes the next priest and he goes and he pursues David and what we see the Lord do through that is preserve a remnant of his people and we talked about how we see that theme throughout the Bible when the enemy attacks God preserves and because God is sovereign he'll even use the attacks of the enemy to accomplish his will and we talked about uh it, the Israelites and the Babylonian exile and uh and so many different scenarios that the Israelites found themselves in and god always though there was some destruction sometimes a lot of destruction he would always preserve a remnant of his people and he does just that for us sometimes the enemy attacks and the lord allows that but he'll use the attacks to preserve us to perfect us to mold us to shape us to help us grow up to be the sons and daughters that he's called us to be now Where Saul was the enemy, literally a picture of the Antichrist as we discussed last week... Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, we're going to see David as a picture of Christ, as a picture of the Savior in 1 Samuel chapter 23. And God, by the Holy Spirit, is doing this intentionally, helping us understand the difference between Saul and David. They're almost opposites because it really gives us an idea of the difference between the Antichrist and Jesus Christ. David is a type of Christ, and we're going to see that once again in this chapter. But what we're also going to look at is what these two men are being led by, okay? And that's one of the primary differences. Obviously, Saul not having a relationship with God and David having a close relationship with God. But we see time and time again that Saul, he's led by his impulses. He's led by his emotions, while David, on the other hand, is directed by God. Which brings me to the title of this teaching, Directed by God. Versus led by impulses. Directed by God versus led by impulses. And we're going to see uh, both of those things come up as the author of this text inspired by the Spirit contrasts what David does and who he seeks versus who Saul seeks and what Saul does. Now this is another theme that we see throughout the Bible uh, and and we can't uh, minimize um, the the consequences and repercussions of of these two choices because that's really what it comes down to. Are we going to be directed by God or are we going to be led by our impulses and emotions and how we feel? The Bible tells us actually in Romans chapter 8 verse 6, it says this, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's roads that we walk down when we're making these decisions. If I'm choosing to be directed by God, I'm choosing life. I'm choosing love. I'm choosing peace. I'm choosing joy. But when I'm choosing to be led by my impulses, I'm choosing death. Uh, I'm choosing destruction. And we don't always think about that when we make these little decisions. But the Bible promises us that that that's the road you're going down. You're either choosing life or death, even with this little situation. Now, one impulsive decision, does that mean that you're going to die? (laughs) Obviously, not necessarily, but it could bring death to something. It could bring uh, death to your relationship with someone else. It could bring death to your sobriety. It could bring death to something, a a job, really anything. The point is, is that as there are consequences for being led by our impulses, there's also rewards from being directed by God. And we're going to look at both of those things as we get into our text. First Samuel chapter 23, verse 1. It says, Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. So, the threshing floors were basically where they would process grain to turn it into flour. So what the Philistines are literally doing, uh, they're robbing the, the people's food. Like these farmers, you know, um, they harvested their crops. They've waited for the rainy seasons to come and go. They, 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 they got the accumulation of, of all these different grains and weed and, and you name it. And now they're processing it to make food and it's being stolen. So all of their hard work is, is really lost. So this was a, a a really detrimental thing. The people would likely starve if something wasn't done about it. So they told who? It says in verse 2, sorry, in verse 1, they told David. It would seem that they would tell their king, right? Who at this time is King Saul, but they don't tell Saul or at least the Bible doesn't tell us that they tell Saul. They tell David why cuz they know who the right leader is they they know who the righteous leader is they they know who they can count on and who they can trust dave or sorry saul was often absent he was always chasing david and not fulfilling his duties as a king so somewhere along the line the people realized hey we're better off asking david saul Maybe was nowhere to be found or or couldn't be trusted. Or maybe they even asked Saul and Saul turned him down. We don't really know. But what we do know is the people trusted David over Saul. But look at what David does here in verse 2. Therefore David, David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. What did David do? He sought God for direction. And this is point number one. Seek God for direction. It's an easy one. It's a simple one. It's one that we always understand. That's easy to understand. But is it something we always do? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 to 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him or seek him. And he will direct your path. That's a promise. That's a promise. If we acknowledge him, he'll direct us. He'll give us direction. He wants to give us direction. That's a promise that God gives us. You seek me, not only will you find me, but if you seek me for direction, I'll I'll give you direction. Now, the direction... It might not always be as clear as the direction that, that David received from God in this circumstance. Sometimes it's a little vague, or sometimes God doesn't give us the direction right away. But we can't take that and say, well, no, God doesn't fulfill that promise. When we seek Him for direction, He doesn't give it to us. Maybe He's just not giving it right then. He promises He's going to give it eventually. And maybe He already has given the direction, but we just don't understand it regardless We see David. He seeks the Lord for this direction and God is going to give him direction. Now, what is super important about this that we must pull out is that we hear. Let's let's paint the picture. Pretend you're David, right? These people come to you, your people, the people that you love, right? And they say, hey, the Philistines are wiping out, wiping us out. They're taking all our food. All our kids are going to starve. David, help us. David doesn't jump to the gun and say, "Okay, I'm going to help you. He doesn't he he doesn't just try to fulfill a need because there's a need He he waits for the lord to give him direction, which is so important So important I know so many people in this room and in this church have hearts to help people in need and that's a good thing That's an honorable thing But what we learn from david Is that just because there's a need doesn't mean you're the one that's supposed to help them meaning there might be a need but we ought to seek the Lord if we're the ones that's supposed to help in that need. Maybe God wants us out of the picture so He can provide for that need. But if we're not seeking the Lord, we're never going to know. See, what there's not a shortage of in this world is needy people and really ministry opportunities but just because there are opportunities just because they're open doors it doesn't mean that god wants us to walk through those doors every time there's a need it doesn't mean that we're called to fulfill that need david he knew this so we asked god i'm good to do it lord but I want you to know, do you want me to do it? Is this something that you want to take care of? or you want to use someone else? Is this supposed to be someone else's opportunity? Or, or is this for me? Have I been asked because this is from the Lord? The important thing is that we seek God before we fulfill the need. That's exactly what David does. And God gives him the answer. He says, Hey, yeah, I want you to go and help these people. In fact, he says, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. See, David, he asks the Lord a specific question. Do you want me to do this? He didn't say, God, what's your will for my life? Big general, (laughs) what's your will for my life? No, he said, do you want me to do this specific thing? And, And one thing I found, and we see it in Scripture, we see it in this Scripture, the more specifically we pray, the more specifically God answers. (laughs) When we ask God these vague, general, what's my will? Like, okay, I'll give you a vague answer. Okay, if you're going to ask me a vague question, my will is that you would be sanctified, okay? That you would be holy, okay? That's my general answer for your general question. But if you want to get specific about things, then maybe I'll give you a specific answer. That's exactly what we see with David. He asks specifically, God answers specifically, and once again he says, I want you to go and help. I want you to go and attack. Now this is funny because if you remember in the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 22, where was David? says he was in his stronghold, right? He was safe in his stronghold. And look at the progression. God calls him out of his safe stronghold to Judah. Okay. It's a little more open. He's more prone to attack from Saul. And then Saul calls him from Judah into a battle. He's calling him out of his comfort zone to a more and more dangerous place. I wonder what would have happened if he just would have called him to the battle. I don't know. Maybe David wouldn't have been ready. God knew what he was doing and the point is God was taking him further and further away from his comfort zone. Why? Because in the stronghold he's safe but he's useless. He's useless in the stronghold. He can only help yeah, the guys that he's with but God wants so much more for David and as long as he stays safe and secure and comfortable he can only be used this much. So God says, hey I want you to Take this risky chance. I want you to walk down this dangerous path and get out of your comfort zone so that I can use you mightily so that you can save an entire people group. And this is exactly what God wants to do with David. Use him to save people as he is a picture of Christ. Now, this is often the tendency with God. It's not that he doesn't want us to be safe. He he wants us to be safe as his children. But he also wants us to find our safety in him. And so often he'll give us risky direction. He'll give us dangerous direction. He'll say, I want you to step out of your comfort zone. I want you to step out in the wilderness where you can be vulnerable. Where I know you can only depend on me. And in this case specifically, he calls David to fight a battle. Sometimes when we get in our comfort zone when we get in those states of complacency we forget something that we're in a battle david hadn't left the battle even though he was in a stronghold he was in a battle all the time and that's the truth for us we might feel safe in our stronghold but the reality of it is we're constantly in a battle and that's why the bible tells us through paul the apostle in second timothy chapter 2 in second timothy chapter 2 Verse three, he says, you there must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You hear that? To the believer, we're called to be soldiers. Why? Because we're in a battle. There's a spiritual war going on around us. And sometimes when we get comfortable and safe in our strongholds, we neglect to fight in the battle. But God says, hey, don't you remember? Paul says, hey... When you accepted Christ, you enlisted yourself as a soldier. That's what he's saying. I don't know if you got this when you prayed the sinner's prayer. But when you accepted Christ, you're saying, I'm fighting with Jesus. I'm a part of the army. That's what he saying. You enlisted yourself as a soldier for a perfect commander in the person of Jesus Christ. Don't entangle yourself with the, 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 the civilian affairs. You're a soldier. You're no longer a civilian. I know we're civilians and Adam would say, yeah, you guys are all civilians because, you know, he was in the army and all that. But the reality of it is we're, we're not actually civilians. Maybe, um, uh, the government would say that or, uh, or whoever. But the reality of it is we're all called to be soldiers for Jesus Christ. The moment that we forget that and start acting like civilians is the moment that we can expect God to light that fire under us and say, hey, get out of your, your your safe zone, okay? Get out of your stronghold. There's a battle to fight. That's exactly what God does with David. You're not the guy that's killed tens of thousands of Philistines because I want you sitting in your stronghold. No, I've raised you up to be this warrior because I got many things for you to do. I got many people for you to save. He goes on in 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 3. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the philistines this is the logic that the men are having wait a minute god already called us out of the stronghold like we are already in this dangerous place in judah like saul probably knows where we are he's going to find out soon and now you want us to go fight in a battle that seems foolish that seems ignorant why would we do something like that the men and we can understand you got 400 men and you got the king of Israel out to get him, and now they're going to go up to, against the Philistines. So now they're going to have multiple enemies, okay? So we can understand the men, but they're being led by fear. As we'll see with Saul later on in this chapter... They're being led by their impulses. Their impulse is saying, hey, and this is what all our impulses say, right? Don't put myself in in harm's way, right? Every single one of us, right? I'm not going to put myself in a dangerous situation. Common sense says don't put yourself in a dangerous situation. But God often in his wisdom transcends our common sense. Sometimes God says, hey, the safest place you could ever be is in the most dangerous place. Why? Because it's the center of my will. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16 verse 25 proverbs sixteen twenty-five it says there's a way that seems right to a man and it ends in death meaning think about it apply it to this circumstance the the way that seemed right to these men is to stay in judah right But that way wasn't the way of the Lord. The Lord called him to the most dangerous place. Why? Because the most dangerous place in this specific text, in this scenario, was in the middle of a battle. As crazy as it sounds, that was God's will. That was God's way. I want you to be in the danger zone. Because in the danger zone, I will protect you. These men have initial fear, but we can't give up on them yet. David doesn't either. Look what happens. Verse 4. Then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered and said, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. So what does David do? He doesn't say in pride, Yo guys, you're following me. God said this. We're going. Okay, so you're either with me or you're not with me. You can go back and live with Saul. This wasn't the type of king David was. David was humble. He wants to know, well... I want to make sure I heard the Lord right on this one, okay? Let's just let's just double check and get some added confirmation. I don't want all my men to die. You know, what if God's speaking through my men to tell me we're not supposed to fight in this battle? So I'm going to ask God in humility once again. So he inquires of the Lord again, and what does God do? He gives him another word of confirmation. That's point number two. Be directed by his word. Be directed by his word. He gives them direction, and now He gives him a more specific direction. He says, not only am I telling you to, to go and attack the Philistines, but I'm also promising you victory. The point is that God wants to give us direction, and yes, He can give us direction in so many different ways, through circumstances, through prayer, through worship, through donkeys, you name it, God can do it. But often, and more often, the case is that He gives us direction by His Word. In Psalm 119, verse 105, in Psalm 119, verse 105, It says, the word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Meaning, as I'm in this word, God's will, God's path for me, it lights up. I get to see it more clearly. If I'm away from the word, then um, things are a little foggy. Things are a little gray. Things are a little dark. I'm not really sure where to go or what to do. But the more I'm in the word, the lighter the path is. I see it more clearly. Not always perfectly. And sometimes I only feel like I can see two inches in front But those two inches are lit up. They're bright. They're shining. Why? Because the Word is doing that. It's lighting up our path. It's showing us the way God will give us direction through His Word. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says the Word is living and powerful. Like the Word is living. It's life-giving. It wants to show us the way to live, and not just the way to live to be approved unto God, but, but the way to live so that we can get the most out of our relationship with god so that we can experience this abundance of life when we're living by the word we have a better life that's the reality of it and this is why god so often wants to direct us by his word are you being directed by the word of god are you seeking God for direction in His Word? And I know many, if not most of you, do. And, and a great time to do it we know is in is in our daily devotions. I'm not just reading because uh, to you know uh, the the Word of God is the bread of life. Check mark. I got that done in the morning. No, I wanna I wanna seek God today for what He has for me today. What He has for me in this season, God. What do You want to show me in Your Word? I want to be directed by You. I want my path to be lit up so I can see clearly. What you have for me today and this week and this season and this year and the Lord, he will give us so much direction in his word. Now for David, once again, it was extremely clear for us. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But here's the reality. Even if the direction isn't clear for you in the word of God, and sometimes people have seasons where, man, it's foggy, it's gray, I'm in the word, but I'm not getting clear direction. If you're living by the word and you're walking in the word and you're purposing to take the word and, and allow it to, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk down the path of the word, the truth of scripture versus veering off to the right or to the left. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. And sometimes we don't always know exactly what God wants us to do. But if you do what you know to do, then you'll know what to do later. Meaning, if I do and walk in obedience, With what God has given me now, as I continue to do those things, as I continue to walk down that path, the path will get clearer and clearer. Why? Because I'm being directed by the Word of God. And He promises not just to give us direction by His words, but to light up our path when we're seeking direction from God and His Word. That's exactly what happens with David. He seeks, again, in humility, confirmation for this direction, and God gives it. And God doesn't just give it, he promises him victory. Verse 5, and David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock, so David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Exactly what God said happened. See, the men, we got to commend them. They had fear, you know, they were acting out impulsively at first, but then they said, hey, no, I believe David, I believe my spiritual leader is being led by the word. Uh, and by the Lord of God, uh, He's the authority that God placed in our life. We're going to follow what He says. We're going to put ourselves in harm's way because we trust David is hearing from the Lord. And the Lord, ultimately, He blessed their obedience. He blessed their obedience and He gave them victory just as He promised. But think about if this happened. If David says, okay, guys, you know, got direction from the Lord, I'm going. And the 400 are like, okay, let us know what happens. Okay, yeah, you let us know. Send a message if like, you know, there's too many guys or it's like, it's an easy win or you got thousands of Philistines and we have no chance, uh, that type of thing. Meaning, for these soldiers to win the battle, they had to fight in the battle. They had to fight. They had to follow God's direction. There was no victory if they did not follow God's direction. We see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God promises victory with favor, but if these boys don't fight, there's no winning. Now we could say, well, if David went by himself, maybe he could have took them all out. He did, but that's not what happened. And God, He used the obedience of these men. He used their desire to fight this fight of faith to ultimately bring them victory and that's what god also does with us if we want to experience victory in this life if we want to experience a victorious faith we got to be willing to fight the bible says in first john chapter 5 verse 4 In 1 John 5, 4, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. But it's not just any faith. It's a faith that fights. It's a faith that fights for our relationship with God. It's a faith that fights to be as obedient as we possibly can to the Lord. But if we don't do the things He's asking us to do, then how can we expect to have victory in this life? These men, they obey. They fought the good fight and God delivered them. He saved the people of Keilah just as he said. Goes on. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 6. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David in Keilah that he went down with an ephod in his hand. So an ephod was uh, traditionally something that the high priest would wear. It was like a vest and you had the breastplate on it. And uh, the 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 primary reason uh, why he's bringing this ephod is they would use this ephod to seek God. Uh, and you had these interesting things that nobody knows what they are. I'll describe them. But the Urim and the Thummim. Okay, these these two things that we don't know what they are because the Bible doesn't specifically tell us, but we see that with the thought and the urim and the thummim, this was a a way for people to to seek God, uh, believed to be with yes or no questions, like God is it this. Or is it that? And, and some suggest, so you would have this vest and, uh, typically the, the Urim and the Thummim were, were behind the breastplate. They had this breastplate, uh, that had four rows of three, uh, and different stones on them. And these stones had written on them the different names of the tribes of Israel. Okay. Because the, the high priest was always supposed to have the people on his heart. He was supposed to be praying for the people. He also had them on his shoulders because he was called to bear their burdens. So he's, he's really seeking the will of God for the people. That's what this all represents represents that's why it's all right here uh, by the heart you would say so basically uh nobody really knows exactly what they are some suggest it was like uh might have been like a white stone and a black stone and if you took out one that was a yes if you took out another one that was a no and we can look at this and be like Really, the superstitious thing in the Bible, like, was this legit? It was legit because God instituted it and he gave him directions uh, in the word as to how to use uh, these things to get answers from God. So then the questions obviously posed after that. Why don't we still have these things? Why don't we use them now? I'd love to hear a yes or no from God. I believe personally... Because God's given us something so much better. We're, we're in this dispensation of, of grace or the church age. Remember what Jesus promised. He promised us a helper. That he would send us the Holy Spirit. We don't need a black stone and a white stone or whatever it was. We got the Holy Spirit and we got the word of God. God will answer us specifically. He, 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 it may not always be a yes or a no answer. Sometimes God wants to give us some more specific answer. Literally, I think we're in a much better place now with the Lord and receiving direction from God than they were back then. But we do see this was from the Lord because God does give them direction. I don't suggest you try to come up with these things and, and test God to see if He'll answer you according to stones. Um, if you wanted us to still use it, I think uh, it would be in the Word to tell us to still use these things. It was for that time period. First Samuel chapter twenty-three, verse seven. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, "God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut him up, shut himself in." By entering a town that has gates and bars... So somebody ratted David out like, really, like all the people love David. Somebody told on David, we don't know exactly who it is. Bible doesn't name them. But look at how Saul responds. Look He says, God has delivered him into my hand for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Okay, so apparently Keilah was like a closed area. You couldn't really get out once you were in. So Saul looks at this and says, God has delivered David into my hands. Like, really? Like, really? Like, at this point, Saul knows that God has rejected him. He hasn't been receiving direction from God. There's no evidence that he ever had a relationship with God. And he's assuming, based on his circumstances, that God is in it. See, Saul... So. He's continuing to make these impulsive decisions, right? And we know there's the distressing spirit and the demon thing going on. So, so I get that. That's gotta be, uh, pretty rough, but we see him continue to make these emotionally led, impulsive decisions. And these decisions are leading him to this place where he's absolutely delusional. He's delusional. And this is the third point. Impulse decisions lead to delusions. Impulse decisions lead to delusions. See, it's interesting. So we see this contrast thing going on, right? David is seeking God. and Saul is seeking David. (laughs) David is seeking God and and Saul is seeking a man. (laughs) Saul is seeking something that he shouldn't be seeking. And so often when we make these impulse decisions and we're seeking things that we shouldn't, when God kind of puts it in front of us, we assume that it's actually from the Lord. Like God wants us to have that thing. What do I mean? Our carnal nature, our carnal mindsets, our, our deceptive hearts, all these things the enemy can use against us to, to make us think that something is from God when it's actually not. When we set our hearts on certain things, maybe it's a, it's a certain lifestyle. Maybe it's a certain job, maybe it's a certain person, or maybe you can relate if you're married now. Back in the day, there was a person that you set your heart on, you set your mind on, you would pray, God, give me that person, I want to marry him, yada, yada, yada. And then one day, here they come walking by, it must be from the Lord. They're walking by. This must be from God. That's what Saul's doing. But what happens is when we're not in that place of surrender and submission to God, hey, your will be done. And we've set our minds and our hearts on something that the Lord doesn't want us to have necessarily. The littlest of things, the the little slight changes of circumstances we'll use and deceive ourselves into thinking that Thus says the Lord, this is from God. God wants me to have this thing when that not, is not necessarily true. We know that God doesn't want Saul to kill David. Okay, David is the rightful king. He's going to be the king soon. This wasn't from the Lord. And we're going to see David get bailed out of this situation by God. The point is, when we make these impulsive decisions... And we allow ourselves to be led by our hearts and our emotions instead of being led by the word of God and, and his direction for our lives. We're setting ourselves up for for dangerous situations because we know that God will. In Romans chapter one, he also says in Ezekiel that the whole give us over to our sins will give us over to the desires of our hearts. Even when they're not good, Why? It's not like he's trying to play tricks on us. It's not like he's trying to harm us. The hope is that as we seek that thing over and over again and find out that one, maybe we never find it or never get our hands on that thing, or we find it and we realize it's a disappointment that will recognize the only one that we should be seeking because he's the only one that can satisfy us. And we're going to see God kind of take Saul on this wild goose chase to teach him that exact lesson. 1 Samuel chapter 23 verse 8 Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and the men. And when David saw when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him he said to Abiathar the priest bring the ephod here. When David said, "O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake." Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard, O Lord God of Israel? I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. (laughs) So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went uh, wherever they could go, then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. Recap. Saul apparently wasn't willing to go to Keilah to deliver the people, but now that David's there, he's all right. Let's get the army together and get this guy. It just shows the cold-heartedness of King Saul. So Saul was on his way to kill David. And David, it says in verse 9, knew that Saul plotted evil against him. So he seeks the Lord once again. He doesn't say, oh gosh, I'm in this place... Uh, where you know we're kind of in this closed-in environment we only have 600 guys and and Saul has this tremendous army uh, we see David he doesn't panic but he prays he seeks God once again he's continuously seeking God and this is point number four continuously seek God continuously seek God David has a great habit of seeking God for everything. Okay, And we see a lot of the big things, but David, we see in the Psalms, he's seeking God for everything. He's talking to God about everything. This is what a relationship with the Lord ought to look like. Not that we just pray uh, during hard times or troublesome times or when we're at war. And yes, David is praying it during a period of the, like that. But we see David's character across the board. He's praying about everything. He's given everything to the Lord. He's praying without ceasing, as Paul tells us. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians 5.17, sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. We see that that David has this great spiritual discipline where he seeks the Lord constantly for everything. He wants direction, uh, 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 any direction God will give him in his life, whether it's a big thing or a small thing. And that has to be our mentality. Nothing's too small for God, nor is there anything too big. He wants to be involved in all of it. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to give us some clear direction about, hey, what you're going to eat for dinner tonight when you get home. Okay, he might. I don't know. You could ask him. Uh, But the point is he, he wants to be involved in those decisions He wants us to ask him even about those little things and sometimes those little things I believe personally mean more to him than the big things. Everybody asks him about the big things What about the little things Do you really care what god thinks about this? I'm sure he'd appreciate it if you did. David had this mindset. He was asking god for direction about everything so again He asks these specific questions to God, and God gives them specific answers. This is kind of funny, but also tragic. It it says that, yes, Saul is going to come. Saul is plotting to kill him. He will come down. And look at verse 12. Then David said, well, the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul. And the Lord said, they will deliver you. Like, David's going to get ratted out by some of these people for helping him. Like, this is crazy, and we're going to see it happen uh, later on. But David does it anyways. Why? Because God told him to do it. He's like, okay, so I'm going to save these people. They're going to rat me out, and 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 that's that's what's going to happen. God's like, yep, that's that's part of the plan. This is exactly what's going to happen. A little discouraging, but, you know, um, it was the will of the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 23 Verse 14, And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness, so he flees, obviously, and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So, Ziph um, was a place uh, right by on the west coast of the Dead Sea. And this place, if you see pictures, I should have brought some. It's it's really cool. Um, it's almost like... uh Like the Garden of Eden in the middle of the desert. It's not obviously as great as the Garden of Eden, but in the middle of like the desert, you have all this water because it's by the Dead Sea. You got waterfalls. You got vegetation. You got wild animals. Like if I was going to hide out in Israel, this would probably be the place. Like David is hiding out in a very beautiful place. But we also see this place is in the middle of the wilderness. This was intentional by God. God led David into the wilderness. Why? because God couldn't make his man he couldn't make his king in a palace he had to make his man he had to make his king in the wilderness so he would be able to handle the palace and this is all where God molded and shaped David as he's fleeing from Saul he's in caves he's in the wilderness all these different things and I don't think any of us looks at the wilderness I mean unless you love camping but think with me spiritually the wilderness where where, where we're completely dependent on God when we know don't know where the next meal is coming uh we're literally living under um, under branches and and kind of uh huts base uh made out of leaves and all these different things it's this place of vulnerability it's this place of danger it's this place though that god ultimately uses to lead us to a place of dependence and god has a habit across the scriptures of making his men and women making his people in the wilderness in the vulnerable places let me show you deuteronomy chapter 8 Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you. Allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. This is one of the main reasons why God led the Israelites in the wilderness so that they could learn to trust Him. They got nothing else to trust in but God. That's where David's at. He has no one else to trust in. Remember, when he first left, he was by himself. Now he's got some buddies and he's got his family, but... The point was God was trying to get him out of the palace, get him out of his comfort zone so that he would learn in the wilderness he could completely depend on God. And that's where God made his man in the midst of the wilderness. Saul, on the other hand, as David's hiding in the wilderness, it says in verse 14 that Saul sought him every day. But God did not deliver him into his hand. Instead of fulfilling his duties as a king, Saul is solely out for David. Like, come on, there's so many things going on, and the Philistines keep attacking the people, and and Saul doesn't give a rip, he doesn't care about the people, he only cares about accomplishing his will. This is another impulsive decision by Saul, and this decision is going to lead to a dead end. That's point number five. Impulse decisions lead to dead ends. Impulse decisions lead to dead ends. See what it said? He sought him every single day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. He's wasting time, he's wasting effort, he's wasting resources, he's destroying his name. You know, any chance that he had to redeem his kingdom and his kingship is lost because he's so focused on killing David, he's wasting everything. He's literally wasting his life because of this thing in his heart. Because of this impulse. Because of this desire. He's doing it every single day. He can't get rid of this thing. It's like his addiction is seeking out to kill David. And it's destroying his life. And it literally is. And God's letting it happen. Why? Because he knows that in order for Saul to wake up, he's got to hit ground zero. He's got to face destruction. This is also the truth for us. When we're seeking to fulfill the desires of our hearts. And we know God will give us the desires of our hearts when we delight ourselves in Him. Okay, that's a big part of that verse. But when we're seeking pleasure and we're seeking uh, these 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 impulse decisions and and making these things, these these choices based on uh instant gratification and how our hearts or we think our hearts are gonna are gonna be filled and and satisfied, we can expect the Lord to run us around in circles, to hit dead ends, to accomplish nothing, to to waste everything. That's why the Lord says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Quit seeking the desire of your heart. Seek God, and He'll give you the desire of your heart. When we get it backwards, we end up wasting time. We end up wasting our lives. We end up miserable, Seek God and then hold give. Let Him give. Quit trying to take. Quit trying to make it happen for yourself. Saul can't get over this thing. This impulse decision is not going anywhere. It's not blessed because God's not in it. it goes on, 1 Samuel 23, verse 15. So David saw that Saul. "...had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house." So Saul can't find David, but Jonathan can apparently, and this is this is funny. This must have been uh, the Lord allowing Jonathan to find David. But but he finds David, and he just wants to wants to encourage him. He wants to strengthen David's hand in the Lord, that that he can be reminded that David could trust God, and and Jonathan still got his back. He still has a friend that'll be there for him, and 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 they they talk about the covenant once again. They're always reminding each other about this covenant that was rooted in their mutual love for God. I'm sure David, though he has these men, it's good to to see an old friend and be reminded of of the promises that God made so long ago. Because remember, every time David comes in contact with Jonathan, Jonathan reminds David of the promise that God's going to give him the kingdom. Every time. And it's so cool. So this was a reminder... And an encouragement, not just from a friend, but from the Lord himself. It's like he's a messenger from God himself. But sadly, this would be the last time Jonathan and David see each other. This would be the last time. They obviously end on good terms. We see Jonathan. He's hoping one day that he'll be next to you, that I'll be the right-hand man to the king. Like, hey, bro, you got the kingdom, but as your best bud, I want to be there with you, not for the position, but so I can lift up your arms, so that I, I can support you. But it's not going to happen. Because Saul and his foolishness, and a battle they fight in at the end of this book, they're both going to die. It goes on, 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 19. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hekla, which is on the south of Jeshmon? Now, Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there. For I am told he is very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty. And I will go with you and it shall be if he is in the hand in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul, but David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon. In the plain on the south of Jeshimon. So, we see these Ziphites come and rat David out. There's always someone ratting David out, it appears. And and this is really just the enemy at work. But God's going to use all these things to build a greater level of faith in David. And Saul, it's so like, oh it makes you just cringe blessed are you of the lord like he he knows how to speak spiritually but there's no real relationship between him and the lord and he's asking like this is another gift from god though he's been searching every day and he hasn't found nothing and and he realizes that the caleb thing that wasn't from god because he didn't find david there He keeps trying to assume that the next sign, the next circumstance, no, no, this one's from the Lord. Maybe those other ones weren't. But this next thing, this has got to be from God. Sadly, but truly, we know it's not. And the sick thing about all this is Saul is trying to justify his evil by using the sovereignty of God. In God's sovereignty, he had David and Kayla, a place you couldn't get out of. In God's sovereignty, the Ziphites came and ratted him out. That must have been from the Lord. And he's using God's sovereignty, at least the excuse of God's sovereignty, to justify his sin. Now what does this mean practically? I hear people do this sometimes. And we see throughout the scripture, evidence of God's sovereignty and evidence of man's responsibility. And I used to have a friend back in the day and he would talk about relapsing. He's like, well, if I relapse, um, it just must have been p- got part of God's will. Are you serious? You're going to blame God's sovereignty for your addiction. You're going to blame God's sovereignty for you relapsing. The point is, yes, we have God's perfect will and God's permissible will and there's God things that God wants us to do and there's things that we don't do, but we can't do the things that we know God doesn't want to do and say, oh, it was God's fault. He he was in this thing. It was God's will that I accomplished this thing. It was God's will that the Ziphites told me about David so that I could kill David. We just see the twisted mindset of Saul. He's using God in the name of God to justify his wickedness. It goes on in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 25. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, Therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, that he pursued David in the wilderness. Then Saul went on one side. Of the mountain, and David his uh, and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul saying, "Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land." Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called the that place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds at Engedi. So look at what happens, <laughs> Saul. He's continuing to pursue David. He's seeking David in the wilderness. And as he's approaching, as he's getting closer, what happens? This messenger comes and says, Hey, Saul, the Philistines are attacking us. We need to do something about it. God is literally using the attacks of the enemy on the enemy. This is all the Lord. This is the Lord protecting David. But ultimately, Saul... He brought this attack on himself because he wasn't doing his job and defending his country and defending his people because he was pursuing the wrong thing. He invited an attack from the enemy. The sixth and final point, impulse decisions, invite the enemy, impulse decisions, invite the enemy. This decision to continue. To pursue David because of this sick desire he had to kill him. Opened up the door for the Philistines to attack Israel. All the armies are seeking David. There's nobody to protect the people of Israel. And this is so true practically. Practically when we're making these impulsive decisions and, and pursuing the instant gratification thing and the desires of our heart, we're leaving ourselves so prone, so open to attack. I'm going to do what I want here and want here and want here and want here. Whatever I feel like doing, that's just like the biggest target. We're, we're just basically saying, enemy, come and get me. Come and get me. I'm ready for you because I'm just giving into temptation left and right this is why Jesus constantly challenged the disciples to be spiritually minded. Okay, You can't have these carnal mindsets. You can't be making these impulse decisions. You've got to be spiritually minded. And he even challenges them with this on the very last night before he died. In Luke chapter 22, verse 40, Luke twenty-two forty, 40, he said what? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. What were the disciples doing? Sleeping when they should have been doing what? Praying. Why? Because Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew those soldiers were going to come and he knew the disciples were going to flee. I wonder what the disciples would have done if they would have listened to Jesus, if they would have been praying, if they would have been spiritually minded. See, that act of fleeing wasn't the initial impulse decision. The impulse decision was sleeping instead of praying, which led to the next impulse decision. And that's exactly how it happens for all of us rarely is it ever just one decision one decision one impulse decision leads to another which leads to another which leads to another and you know what happens as these impulse decisions build up and build up and build up well the bible tells us what happens what what, what will happen what does happen in james chapter 1 in james chapter 1 <clears throat> Verse 14 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. In other words, my own desires, this temptation, I'm making an impulse decision to fulfill my desires. Verse 15, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's the goal. The enemy will convince you. What's one little decision? What's one little impulse? It's nothing. Nothing's going to happen. Lies. The Bible says that that impulse decision will certainly lead to other ones. And ultimately, the goal is to bring forth death in your life in some way, to bring destruction in, in, in some form or capacity into your life. That's the, that's the point. That's what the enemy's trying to do. And this is the position Saul put himself in. By making these impulse decisions. Allowing the enemy to wreak havoc on his life. And it says... Again, verse 28. Therefore, Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds at En Gedi. So we see... God delivers David once again. We see God's faithfulness, his sovereignty, his protection, his love over David. And ultimately, it's, it's all the word Lord working here. But we can't minimize the responsibility that Saul and David had. See, David, he sought God and God delivered him. Saul, he sought to perform, to make these impulse decisions. He he sought to fulfill the desires of his heart, and he's not going to find deliverance. Instead, he's going to be led on this wild goose chase, seeking, 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 and never finding. Why? Because he's not seeking the right thing. And that's the truth for all of us. If we're not seeking, seeking the right thing, then we'll be on this earth until we start seeking the right thing on this wild goose chase. Just seeking, 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 Running into dead ends, running into death, running into destruction until we wake up and we start seeking the right thing. Now, this isn't just a, a general thing, it's not just seeking God generally, it's seeking God. In everything, for everything, seeking his desires of our life over our desires, because ultimately he wants us to experience that deliverance. But when we're seeking the wrong thing, then we're ultimately seeking bondage, and we're opening ourselves up for attacks from the enemy. Saul, in his pursuit of his own desires, he found what? Nothingness, no purpose, waste of time, resources, waste of other people's time, waste of everything. And that will always be the case when we're seeking the wrong thing. But when we're seeking God, we'll experience all that God wants for us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. David was seeking God. Saul was seeking David. Who are you seeking? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your clarity. And and You make it often so simple to understand. If we seek you with our whole hearts, we'll find you and we'll find uh, all that you have to offer us in this world. Um, but God, we have a tendency to get led astray by certain desires and temptations and, and we're enticed and sometimes we give in and we know that just leads us on this this wild goose chase where we're seeking things that we think will satisfy us and they never do. They never do. They always disappoint Lord, so I pray that you would give us the passion and the hearts to to seek you in everything, to seek direction from you, to seek relationship with you, Lord, that we would be able to seek first the kingdom of God. And you would add all these things unto us, not that we're looking for all those other things, Lord, we're looking for you. So give us the the hearts to be focused on the right thing, focused on you. God, we don't want to be in this world on a wild goose chase. We, We want to Um, to to, to walk down the straight and narrow path, the path that you laid for us, Lord. Uh, So we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.